Welcome to episode number seven of the Public Art Podcast. Talking story with the artists, community members, project facilitators, small business owners, supporters, and story holders working together to envision Wailuku as a public arts district. Today, we're joined by Pittsburgh-based light painting and new media artist Lori Hepner, who recently completed public artwork for Wailuku Town entitled Up, Together, Join Hands, which was her chosen proverb from Mary Kavena Pukui's Olelo no Eau, Hawaiian Proverbs and Political Sayings. Lori has spent considerable time in recent years in community-centered artist residencies in Pittsburgh, Norway, Finland, Iceland, and Canada. While on Maui this past September and October, she partnered with Iao Intermediate School, Halau Makana Aloha o Kaloa'e, Hale Ike Ike at the Bailey House Museum, Wailuku Coffee Company, 62 Market, Lokahi Pacific, County of Maui, and more to create light paintings that are temporarily installed in Wailuku Town, right along the corridor of 62 North Market Street. Here we talk story about her process, inspiration, public art experience and advice, and reflections on Wailuku Town. Please enjoy. Groovy, groovy. Okay. Good morning, Lori. Good morning. <laughs> um, it's so nice to see your face. It's been a few weeks, and I'm really appreciative that you're able to join us for the Public Art Podcast today. Thank you. Can you tell me where you are today? So I'm back in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm working from home. Sometimes my studio practice is in my house. Sometimes it's at another studio location, but today has been working on the computer, doing some Photoshop designs. Yeah, and it is November 17th, 2021. What's the weather like there today? It was cold over the weekend, but I just ran outside and I didn't realize that it's actually really warm and spring-like today. It kind of changed. Nice. So it's nice. Heaven. Um, so we're going to jump into this podcast talk story, even though you and I know each other pretty well at this point, a lot of folks that might be listening in do not. So I'd love to kind of start with an introduction and a bio. And I know you and I have done this several times, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, talk about, you know, your, your transformation, maybe from a professor or a gallery artist or a photographer to a public artist. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I've been primarily a studio gallery showing artist for like the beginning parts of my career. And I went to RISD's digital media program for grad school. And this is in the ancient time of 2005. Uh, so that kind of, I've been doing digital art for forever, literally going back until the 1980s when I had a computer art class in kindergarten in public school, which is why I do what I do. I don't know how the teacher got computers. This is the, the Mac we had without mouses. You had to type in commands to make a triangle draw a line or a square or whatever. So it kind of goes back to uh, computers as programming, which is a little bit crazy. So fast forward, um, I work at Penn State and I teach digital art and photography to um, students at the Greater Allegheny campus, which is just outside of Pittsburgh. And I've been over the last like three years, trying to sort of transform into doing more art as art as public art in public space. And part of that does kind of go back to the students that I have and I interact with every day is that most of them are just coming from normal backgrounds. A lot of them, maybe they've gone to the Andy Warhol Museum on a field trip once, 
with school. They're not artists, but they, you know, they live in culture, so they are exposed to like a lot of visual things and photos, but they see most of the art just living their lives. So I wanted to start making work, you know, with communities, with other people to have them be part of the, the project, but also have it be available for people as they live their life in space. And yeah. so I've done some projects here in Pittsburgh, working with some communities in the Beachview neighborhood and um, the Hazelwood neighborhood or two. We have a lot of little neighborhoods in Pittsburgh. There's like 189 neighborhoods. So it's a really eclectic, each one is different. It's kind of cool. Um, so in some of those neighborhoods, I was making some work that would be out on the facade of some buildings that was based on these community art making workshops that I did with the public. And so that's kind of where I've been focusing my energy the last few years. And I really, really enjoyed coming to work on the project with Small Town Big Art. And I'm hopefully going to have some other projects in the next few years. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Um, just having reviewed your application and your website and your CV and then meeting you, you've also been kind of all over the world <laughs> with your public yeah. art. <laughs> and you told um, Sissy and Erin and I in our welcome brunch together about a really interesting place that you were visiting doing a residency the day that I guess COVID was announced. Do you want to talk yes. about that a little bit? So this was a little bit, um, we're actually very crazy. I was a part of this program called the American Arts Incubator, and it was run through a collaboration with this organization Zero One in San Francisco and the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Cultural and educational affairs. And so I had been been accepted into this program. They had six different artists where we would be sent out to other countries to host workshops uh, for a month with local artists to make digital artwork on a different, you know, varying themes. And so I was in Kosovo and this was, I left the US on February 29th, 2020 and landed in Kosovo the first week of March. And I was there for a week ran the first week of workshops and then I got a call from the State Department saying guess what you're leaving the country today yeah. pack everything up and basically find a flight so it was really crazy because all of the they had inside information that the, we were trying to figure out what flight to put me on yeah. and somebody the travel agent at the embassy found out that they were they weren't going to let the flights in the next day from from Europe so I had to leave because there would be no airplanes to have me leave the next day. So yeah. I ended up on a flight to, to Istanbul from uh, Kosovo and then, where was it? Istanbul to DC. That was a long plane ride on yeah. March 13th, Oof. 2020. Yeah. So it was, it was a really, hopefully, I mean, unfortunately the project got canceled because obviously I had to leave but we would be doing some public art projects with the communities in Kosovo, which would have been really cool. And I'm sad that I didn't get to make that project get finished, but we all saw what happened. <laughs> so yeah. That has to be really interesting to leave halfway. I wonder if you've ever had to do that as an artist before. It must leave kind of like a gaping hole in your soul because you were investing so much of yourself and working with community members and I mean, you had to leave. There was no other yeah. choice. How did that feel for you? Oh, I was, I mean, I was so sad to have to do that. And it, it, it took me a few months to sort of get over it. I was, yeah, yeah it, it definitely, because I'd been planning it and working on it for, at that point, it had been about a year. Yeah. And then it just was like, poof. <laughs> Gone. Yeah. Point. 
That was a dramatic story and it stuck with me for a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, that's still probably one of the, the things like people are, where were you when COVID happened? Yeah. In Kosovo. <laughs> yeah. Intense. And I, I guess I, I'm thinking about, you said that you had prepared for that project for a year. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about your preparation for small town, big art. Um, and maybe talk about the preparation process from the moment you apply to the day that you arrived on Maui, because, um, of course, for all of us, for anyone involved in breathing, right, the, the, the coronavirus and the, the COVID pandemic changed the game for everybody, right? And so for us, we had to pivot and focus really closely on local artists, right, or on virtual engagement, we started creating all of these documentaries to ensure that community community members felt invited and felt heard. Um, and we just had to, we had to play a lot with our public art engagement and activities. And so I know that unlike a lot of the artists that we work with, who we might be chatting with for six to nine to 12 months, um, we, we might've only worked together for, for a handful of months, right? So I'd love to kind of hear about your preparation for what would normally be probably a year long process yep. for you condensed into a, a shorter period of time. Well, it was, I sort of got started when I saw the call, I'm like, this is was really great. I could tell immediately that like everybody was really invested and really was going to have some rich community engagement. And so I was looking at this in February, 2021, I think. Yeah. And I had, I mean, that's sort of the first COVID winter. I, um, I was teaching from Zoom at Penn State. So I was teaching from where I'm sitting right now with my, my new Zoom computer setup on my laptop setting. And I really started to miss people. I missed my students. I missed being able to even engage with, I didn't see my family as much as I wanted to because they, I have some family with um, some health problems that would make them really vulnerable to COVID. So we were all being really careful with each other. And so I spent a lot of time alone. So seeing this project and really wanting to do something that involved the community and that looking at the different um, sort of proverbs and quotes from, I, I will probably mispronounce the name of the, the book, <laughs> but um, going through all of those and just seeing like how it was something that really fit with what I wanted to do, which would be to bring some of this light painting to another community to be able to kind of allow the community members to literally themselves be a part of the art making process. Yeah. So, so we then would fast forwarded to, I think like August, and everybody got back in touch, said, hey, we want to try to make a project happen. COVID had opened up a little bit. And so we, we had started sort of planning to have an event in Wells Park. And then that had to change because of the different um, COVID restrictions that happened on Maui in August and September. So we changed, we had to change that on the fly. <laughs> yeah, everything. And so it was like, what ended up resulting, I think, was an amazing experience. So I'm not disappointed by the change, but it was definitely like one of those things where it's like, okay, as an artist, be ready for the unexpected shifts. Yes. Like every project has one. Some are yeah. more dramatic than others. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a that was a question I had a little further down my list, but you know that we have a, an RFP, a request for pro proposals out right now. Um, and the, the proposal deadline is this Sunday. So I am talking to 
um, very experienced and professional public artists such as yourself for to, to share advice. Because for this next round, um, we are accepting applications from some emerging artists, again, because of this COVID pivot. Um, we've put out a collection of six storytelling excerpts from exemplary individuals within our Wailuku community, and we're asking artists to create a work of art that's inspired by these excerpts. So one, one um, vision that the team has is to maybe create animations or films, you know, items mm -hmm. that we can share virtually and then maybe host either an online or an in-person um, film festival, right? Where we're showing all of these animations or all of these different submissions. So yeah, I, I would love to hear, you just talked about flexibility and pivoting, um, what advice you might have for emerging public artists? Um, what kind of characteristics should they be armed with? What skill sets should they be sharpening? How does it differ being a public artist from perhaps being a gallery artist or a stage artist? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's small things that end up being really big that are the differences. So it, it's like, you're not just working alone in your studio. You're you're working with other people, so there has to be a lot of others involved in like the negotiations of timing and scheduling. So like being able to be like a good planner of your own time, like being able to understand sort of have the timeline of how long things take to actually do, and yeah. be realistic with that. Um, my project there was really short in timeline, and it. I knew I could do it, but it was going to be a little bit pushing it to the edge of, is this physically possible to make designs and have them printed in a week? Yeah. Which literally, as you know, we were waiting for the UPS man to show up <laughs> the day before I had to leave to be able to put up the artwork. And luckily it showed up and you helped and we got it on the wall. Which oh great. my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So for those listening, I think I sat here at the delivery point for seven or eight hours and then hand it off to Lori saying, you know, I need to go maybe get some sustenance, <laughs> take a little break. And of course, an hour after I left, UPS is calling me from the other side of the building saying they cannot wait. They have to continue their route. And I'm texting and calling you with UPS on hold and you're running, right? I'm running, literally running parking from the back parking lot to the front of the building to make him stop. So luckily it wasn't that far of a run, but these are the kind of things that sometimes just end up happening with public yeah. art projects that might be slightly different if you were in a gallery setting where you could, you know, not have to get the expedited printing because you have a little yeah. bit more time. You know, if, plan, yeah. if you have six months to do something, you can, you know, order that roll of paper a little earlier. <laughs> but I think, you know, some of those those kinds of things, um, I think, make the projects I think a little bit richer in a lot of senses because there there are these kind of real world elements that come in. So yeah, if you are doing something and you haven't done public art before, you know, build in some extra time into yeah. your schedule and really like think to yourself before you put up a proposal, like what can you physically make happen <laughs> in the timeline? And sometimes that might be changing what the deliverable is, changing exactly what kind of materials you're use, using. Um, but thinking about those things, I think, are, are different than a gallery artist. Yeah. And, and so that being said, I, I would love for you to describe what you created for your small town big art project and maybe just start with day one, because it was a six or seven day residency and each day had a very specific and distinctive um, deliverable, right, yeah. for you, an event. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to just maybe describe what that 
residency consisted of? Yeah, so for my project, we kind of started out with um, going to the Yao school and we went to a music classroom, which was one of the most awesome classrooms I've ever been in, in terms of how cool it was. My there gross. Was, like, LED lights everywhere, and there was ukulele. There was probably like 12 ukuleles hanging on the wall. There was like a TV. There was a like a leather recliner, which I think was the teacher's chair, which is awesome. And so like they were, this was like their after school session. And so they were having some kids come and like play music. And so we were setting up the light painting equipment and setting up like a black backdrop so that we could have like a blank thing behind it. Because what basically I was going to be using some of the, the video footage taken from this light painting to then create 2D artwork that we would be installing outdoors later on. So I knew I had to make art from the art. <laughs> and in Photoshop, it works a whole lot better if I don't have to Photoshop off the weird stuff of like a wall that shows up in the background. Yeah. So, we ended up doing that for maybe an hour and a half timeline that we were there. It took a little bit of time to get the equipment going. My batteries were not being happy with me. And sometimes the, I always have a back. That's the other thing. I always have a backup. So two computers, two light painting sticks, um, just in case something would happen. So yeah. another tip for public artists out there. So that, that first day, it's, we recorded that. And so this, we had a projector going and you could draw with the light, uh, the six foot tall light stick that I have that you can put images into. And so the students were playing ukuleles and playing music and we were having that happen. And then some of the other kids were making portraits with each other with the light painting by walking behind them to kind of create these silhouette portraits and just playing with yeah. the light sticks. And so yeah. that was really fun. And then, see, we had um, an event planned the next evening, which was kind of ended up being an invite event because of the COVID restrictions. But we yeah. had um, Sissy's loud troop of yeah. dancers that were so amazing. And we had three musicians that came in and we were outside in the yard where there were these beautiful flowers. We set up um, a white, I had my white backdrop we set up as a projection screen. And so we had the small town big arts projector and so that got hooked in and so we had to wait till it got dark to do the light painting so we knew that was going to happen but everybody had arrived earlier and this was not everybody had been together before as a group because yeah. of COVID and this was sort of really special for them because they hadn't been in the same space. Yeah, Sissy's Halau has been coming together virtually for for their classes and meetings for two years. <laughs> Yeah, so they were, it was amazing to sort of see them. So every, they kind of did a run through of some, some dancing. And so I got to watch and really experience, you know, what that is like. And it was really amazing to see that happen. And so some like it's more contemporary styles and some were more traditional styles. And then we had the, the three musicians playing um, guitars and ukuleles. And once it got dark, we got to kind of go through dancing with them, with these lights. And then we had some lights that are wearable. So I had one of, or at least one of the dancers put on some LEDs. I think this is one of the kids and realized that their body movements were making drawings with the light. And then they started just running, running around. And so they went and got some other like battery operated, like fairy lights to, to let people to kind of wear. And then we had the glow stick lights that everybody's probably familiar with from like Fourth of July holidays. 
So uh, everybody, even like the aunties were wearing uh, glow sticks, which was amazing. Yeah. And so all of this was happening. And then little kids were running back and forth, drawing with these fairy lights that they were wearing. And then I was also using the big, tall, six foot LED stick that's taller than me and sort of creating these portraits of the dancers as they were dancing with the projection screen happening at the same time. So this is all real time projection. So people were seeing this happen as they were there. And so I was literally running around because that's what I have to do to make some of my art. Yep. And my computer was sort of controlling and saving this video that was being projected. And once again, like the event was a huge part of the project was for that event and it as performance, it as an experience. And it was about allowing the community members to like help make the artwork that would be the final thing that I'd be making. So once that was all recorded, that night went well. And then I had a few days to um, put together, go back <laughs> into my computer and I set up at the coffee shop and yeah. I sat outside. So I spent two days having a little coffee shop artist residency and I had my iPad set up on the table sort of facing outward. So it was basically mirroring my screen. So anybody yeah. that was wandering by could see what I was doing in Photoshop um, on the computer to try to make these two digital print murals from all of this material from the event that we had. And so I got to speak to a lot of people. It was really fun. And I was there on a weekend and a weekday. Yeah. So I got to sort of experience both like the people that are hanging out on the weekend as well as the people that are working. And that mm -hmm. was really great. And so I was doing Photoshop and coming up with these two print murals. And then the second day it was like, okay, I need to get this uploaded <laughs> to the printer who um, was in Nevada, sort of the farthest west print shop that had expedited shipping so that it would be there by the deadline so that it would show up while I was still in Maui. And got it uploaded with four minutes to spare. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it, it worked. Yeah, but it was a little, it. a little stressful at the last second because it got hot on the sun sitting out there with my computer. But that event was really great. You're on Wi-Fi. Yes. Tell me how heavy your images were that you're uploading via Wi-Fi. These are heavy images. Yeah, we're, we're talking like I had made them as small as I physically could, and they were probably 25 megabytes each, yeah. 50 okay. megabytes each. Okay. I'm working on a project now where I'm working with a digital file that's 25 gigabytes, which would never yes. be uploadable anywhere, but that, that's, that's what, what I was thinking right now. Okay. Yeah, the working file was much bigger. I've made them small as JPEGs to upload, but I'm working with these files that are pretty big in my computers, yeah. like sitting in the sun with like external hard drives and a little bit of it freaking out because it's been working all day. Yeah. So yeah, it's really different doing that in public versus doing that like in a room by yourself. Yeah. So the sites that you covered were Iao Intermediate School, mm -hmm. Haleho Ike Ike at the Bailey House, and Wailuku Coffee Company, and one of your light sticks, which the, the students at Iao School were just completely mesmerized by, was programmed with photographs that you had taken in Iao Valley, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So you had also done a little bit of hiking and exploring on yeah, your own. Yeah, I wandered own. around a little bit on some of the days that I was, like, days before I did everything. So like in, in between those events, I was kind of 
wandering around and taking some pictures and to infuse the sense of place into the light sticks, which I still don't fully understand, (laughs) but I I saw it with my own eyes, right? I saw you paint with your six foot light stick and there was a skyscape or there was, you know, some valleyscape. And I think my jaw just hit the floor and the kids were all high-fiving. They were so excited about what they were painting with. That was such an awesome idea. Is that drawing with regular, like, oh, I have a flashlight and I can draw. It's the, the, the LEDs are programmable, so they allow me to put images in. So yeah. that way, when you're kind of moving with the light, you're actually drawing with an image. So you yeah. can, if you, you do it in a straight line, you get a photo that looks like a photo hovering in space or a piece yeah. of a photo hovering in space. But if you twist it or move around in the light in different ways, it kind of twists that image and makes it a little bit more abstracted. And that's one of the things I really like um, because strangely, like for the last, prior to the last, I guess, this public art project that I've been working on, I was making work that was 100% abstract. <laughs> and now I'm having, I'm having figures in my art, I'm having more representations that you can tell. Um, like before there was a lot of like little pieces of landscape, so you might be able to tell a little piece of it with something that was a photograph, yeah. but some of the other parts were more abstract. And so it's... I still haven't completely conceptually figured out what this shift in my imagery for my practice really means, but beautiful. It's just, I've really enjoyed being able to add that in. Oh, and then the other piece of the project, which I forgot to mention, is that is also augmented reality. So the murals that you have that we got printed and placed outside in Wailuku Town, um, you can hold up your cell phone if you download this Artivive app, which is um, free for iOS. Android, Apple, it's free for everybody. Um, you hold your phone up to that and you can actually, it does image recognition. So it'll, it looks at a database, it knows my picture and it will have some of the video animations of some of the light painting that was happening live play over top of the imagery and there's sound. So we hear the musicians singing and we hear some of the kids playing the ukulele on each of the two clips. So you yeah. can go there with your phone and you can hear that which I think is like having that little piece of the experience was important for other people to be able to kind of experience it on their own as they wander through Wailuku. Yeah, a couple days after you left, we put up QR codes with the same exact material that your um, adhesive murals are made Mm -hmm. from, which leads to the project webpage with the directions, right? So anyone approaching the artwork, which is at 62 North Market Street in Wailuku Town, right along the corridor where uh, the restaurant 62 Market is, you'll see these two murals with a QR code that will um, instruct folks to download the Art of Eve app. Um, once that's downloaded, you can point your, your device at either of the two murals through the Art of Eve app. And there's image recognition, sorry, image recognition that will recognize these images and bring to life. You'll hear the kids at Eau Intermediate School jamming and you'll see some of the movement from uh, Sissy's Halau. Is that an accurate description of what folks will see? Yes, that's a really good description of it. And it's something that I think is still pretty new to a lot of people. People only really know about augmented reality from like Pokemon Go. So if you know what Pokemon Go is, this is this but art. (laughs) I've never played it. So I'm always so this was really jaw dropping for me when you and I 
when you called me and said, please mm-hmm. help me put these things on the wall because I'm a couple inches taller than you, even though we still didn't yeah. get them <laughs> off the ground. But yeah, it was the first time I had like really played with AR before. And that was really exciting. And um, I still have brunch or lunch at least once a week at that restaurant, just because it's so central to Wailuku town. And there's always a waiting group down the corridor playing, right? And playing with it, it gets me so excited to see folks play with it and download the app and ask questions. Um, Yeah, it's really, really beautiful, Lori, and different, so unique. Yeah, I've just started um, adding this into my artwork. Another project I did over the summer, just before I came to Wailuku, um, in Pittsburgh, at this old steel mill furnace site, we had some site-specific augmented reality stuff. And just watching the people, and we had these tours, like on mass, all had their cell phones out, was just really, it was really awesome. Yeah, seeing people, um, I don't know, be delighted by or surprised by your artwork must be a really unique feeling. Yeah, and it's something that I mean, I one of the reasons why I like working with technology is to have sort of give that people those experiences. And also with these events, it's it's meant to be, you know, make the technology down to like a normal person level. Like you don't have to be an expert to use this or to experience it. Like I'm trying to make it that easy for everybody to, else to do. It might be hard for me, but I want it to be easy for the people participating or the people viewing the art because they might not engage with it otherwise. And so, yeah. you know, making it normal and easy, like I hope that leads to more artists and other artists, you know, trying to, to bring in some of this newer technology into their work so that it's it becomes it becomes normal and it's not always the the weird what's augmented reality or what's this why do I want to look at this through my phone but yeah. I think that you know being able to have that available for people is really cool it makes me happy I wonder how important it is to you to meet and work with local community members to design your artwork Yeah I really I think it's important for these types of projects to involve the community as much as possible so that it's, you know, they, they feel that it's integral to them and reflects their values and reflects what's important to the community and isn't something that's, you know, some artist from far away comes in and like descends upon them and says, this is my artwork, you should have it there. But no, yeah. like, I want to come to the place where the people are and, you know, get to know them and get to have their characteristics and what they're interested in is important to them sort of be infused into the art so that it really feels like it is integrated into the community. It's it's not something that is, like I said, coming, you know, some weird artwork coming in from someone from far away. Yeah. There can be people that come in from far away, but like being able to work with the communities and have their, them really have their voice in the piece is what's interesting to me and why I like to be able to one, you know, travel and experience people that are different than I am and, you know, get to really listen to them and think about what's their values and what do they want to have infused in the artwork. And to me, it's like an interesting design challenge to sort of, you know, listen to other people and think about how can I try to make something that, you know, withstands to their values and something that they're happy with. And so they, they really feel like the artwork is part theirs. It's not just mine. It's like the community becomes part of the part ownership um, and sort of take stock of it. They're proud of it and take stock of it. So that's you know, when I've been working with the public and public art projects, like that's what makes it interesting to me. Like I, I can sit in my house and Photoshop all day, but it's not gonna be nearly as interesting as if I'm making something with and for other people that I never would have been able to make had I not had my interactions with them. 
Yeah, and you've beautifully articulated one of the major goals of the Small Town Big Art program through the County of Maui, which is that co-ownership, right? Um, so that it's certainly not an artist coming in with a preconceived design of what they think might look beautiful or stir a, an interesting dialogue in a specific location, but they're coming in with their um, highly above average skill sets and workshopping their ideas with the community and ensuring that the ultimate um, product is is co-owned or co-developed. And that is really, really hard to accomplish. And I think that is one of the defining features of a public artist as well, right? And we don't we don't define public art as art in public places, but art that is created with, for the public, right? Um, so I think you've done a really beautiful job of that. And I also wanna just um, hear a little bit more about your initial discussion with Halejo Ikeike at the Bailey House. Um, we we want to make sure that every artist starts their process through small town big art, um, either identifying with Halejo Ikeike or on their own and maybe just workshopping a bit an Alelo Noeau or a Hawaiian proverb from Mary Kavena Pokui's book that we talked about a little bit earlier. And you were unique, Lori, in that <laughs> you were razor focused on your proverb from the get-go, right? Some artists, um, they, they have an idea or they might be drawn to a proverb and throughout the process, Sissy might recommend three or four other proverbs and it's not until the final day that they finally settle on one. Others feel really strongly that they, they might not need one and then ultimately adopt one. So I'd love to hear about your process of selecting a proverb and how that initial discussion with Sissy went. In my eyes, it was perfect, but I wanna hear it from your point of view? Well, I was um, sort of looking through them, and this is what I sort of found in the, in the depths of the, the dark COVID alone time, um, that, and my pronunciations are not always the best, so I, I don't want to butcher it, but the translation is up together, join hands. And this is what really struck me when I was looking through them to write the proposal is that you know, that's what I was craving. I wanted connection with other people. I wanted to be able to come together to make artwork together. So when I found this, I was really like, yes, that is exactly what I want the event to be like, where we're gonna be working with the community to kind of do some of the light painting. And when I sort of well, talk with Sissy about it, she thought it was also great. It was a great match for it. So I was happy that we were able to keep it. Um, I was I was not expecting that to happen in our discussion. I figured she might know one that would be better and sort of be a better fit for what I was hoping to sort of make the event be like. But this was one where, you know, I, I spent, you know, this is in doing the proposal, I spent a good amount of time reading through the book and, you know, doing my research and trying to figure out, okay, what, what, match, what matches the goals that I wanna have of the project? And what I think the goals of you know small town big art are for working with the community, and this was something that it really stood out to me when I found it, and it was I had a list going of ones that I thought were interesting, but when I stumbled upon this one, it was like yes, this is the right proverb. <laughs> yeah, and I am going to invoke Sissy for one moment, mm -hmm. and I, I will maybe not pronounce it correctly either, but I know that it is very important to her and mm -hmm. some of some other folks that we do practice, right? So yes, that- I will, you can, I, I will practice 
if you yeah, so that, well, let's normalize it right like yeah. i'm not hawaiian you're not hawaiian but we are really trying to highlight these these proverbs and so yours was a ala a alu a kuilima and that yeah, means a ala a alu a kuilima yeah there you go yeah and the more we say it and practice it the more we can normalize it and hopefully teach others what it means and to translate it and to ask questions about where did that come from? What is that book? Who is that woman that wrote that book? And what is it representative of? So I think it's really important. Um, although I am a lot like you in many cases, I don't want to butcher the language, but yeah. I think through practicing, we, we can help, you know, perpetuate some of the things that we're trying to accomplish through this program. So I think you did a beautiful job. And um, it was nerve wracking in the beginning. I know our panelists who all like to remain anonymous so that artists mm -hmm. don't beg them to select them. But when they saw that during a, a health crisis, we had an artist wanting people to join hands and come together and create light painting together. Um, yeah, it was just a little bit nerve wracking. Can we touch? Can we be in the same room? What does life look like now? But you expertly, expertly uh, were able to create footage of all of these intergenerational participants dancing, creating music and joining hands digitally, right? You kind of created that in your artwork rather than physically needing people to do that. So there's where there's a will, there's a way, right? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't necessarily literally holding hands, but we were able to kind of create that in the imagery that it seemed like that. And so that, that was where, um, yeah, I know people are like, oh, no, it's it's COVID. We can't touch. It's like, well, you don't necessarily have to for this. If we're doing it outside and we can be socially distant and wear masks and be safe about it. And I was just so happy that we were able to actually have the event and not have to cancel it. And we were scared, man. Up until the day it happened that like something's going to change with the with the rules and we wouldn't be able to make it happen. Yeah. But. Yeah, I'm so happy it did. And I guess my my final question for you, we can talk all day if you want, but I do <laughs> want to ask um, how you would now describe Wailuku to someone that's never been to Hawaii before mm -hmm. um, and might have preconceived notions about, you know, maybe just a focus on beach culture or whatever the stereotype might be. Um, yeah. How would you um, distinguish Wailuku from maybe other parts of Hawaii? So I think, you know, that's one of the, if you just hear Hawaii, you probably are thinking beaches and surfing and, you know, fancy hotels in some of the places or little beach shacks in other places. Um, this is really like Wailuku is not directly, it's close to the coast, but it's not that stereotype of beaches. It's sort of a little bit up mountain. There is green, there's greenery and it, it rains a little bit more there than in other parts, but it's more of like this little rainforest, beautiful um, palm trees do line the streets. You do get to see some really amazing, there's some like plantation homes as you're driving into the area. It's sort of, it's not in the downtown, so it's not the airport, which I think is a good stereotype that it is not, it's not that kind of a place. It's a small town. There's a, there's the main street. There's little shops that are run by, you know, small businesses that are obviously like an artist and possibly, you know, friends and family that might be working in their shop or they're, they're screen printing the shirts like in the shop and, yeah. you know, having it be their studio space and selling things. There are small coffee places that have local baked goods, you know, that you can purchase. And 
I think it's it's kind of like that idea of it's the, still the small town where like the people that live there, it's a community. They kind of make things work for everybody. They, they shop locally. They are able to support their neighbors in business. Um, the schools are like, it's not like you're being bused from some far away place. Like people live near the schools and they're just infused in the neighborhood. And it's, but it's not a scary urban area. So it's not, you know, midtown Manhattan. It's not the, the giant really bustling culture in that like it feels like business people and rushed and crazy. It feels like a place that is active, but it's not scary. It's not overburdensome. But I still think there's like opportunities for, you know, people that want to start something up. They have that kind of opportunity. There's still places left. It's not overdeveloped. It, it feels like a it feels like a home. It feels like a, you know, it's a place that it, it has an identity. It's not some generic like strip mall place that gets built up in the suburbs of some imaginary town. It's it's definitely like there's characteristics, like the buildings are from lots of different eras and are painted a lot of different colors. There are these little touches. Uh, I did see a lot of orange paint, which I really love. <laughs> that I do feel like that's more specific to Wailuku Town than maybe other parts of, of the island or other places. But it's it's like people are also willing to talk that will random people will talk to you. And so yes. that's something that's really, I think, changed in the last 10 to 15 years in a lot of places. Pittsburgh used to be much more like anybody will talk to you all the time. But as I mean, parts, some of the neighborhoods have gentrified and it's there's less of that. Mm -hmm. Growing up, it was like you said hi to everybody as you walk down the street. Yeah. And that's not quite the same anymore in Pittsburgh, not in all the places. And so like, I do feel that, you know, as had more tech companies come in, at least to, that's one of the things that are happening in Pittsburgh. Um, like the place where I'm doing a public art project now, it like I went, it played middle school soccer at like the place when it's now Google's headquarters for Ooh. Pittsburgh. They, they rented, they, they basically tore down a school and a soccer field and built up some new buildings. And I'm making some public art with some of the community that is still left and maybe was forgotten about a little bit for the development there. And yeah. it's a really, it's a strange like line to toe, but the artwork that I'm being able to make there, I think is really, I'm excited about it. But it, it's something that, you know, like I was saying with Wailuku Town, there's still opportunity for people to come in and make something new if they want to. And the community yeah. like so wants to support that kind of thing. I think that like, I want to come back to Wailuku Town. Like it's one of those places, like I've been there once, like I want to come back. It's, yeah. it's not somewhere that I want to visit once. So that's, I think, something that's also unique because not a lot of places, I don't connect to a lot of places in that way, even mm. when I'm traveling for other art businesses. Even if it's not public art, sometimes there'd be conferences that are academic where I've been to different places. And some of those places I don't know that I want to go back to, but <laughs> <laughs> I do want to come back to why Luke Town is one of those places that wow. just kind of like got into my head and my heart and makes me want to come back. Well, I mean, I think that Aaron Wade and I, who are both always so guilty of perfectly envisioning what an artist residency is going to look like <laughs> prior to it coming, and then obviously laughing about it over a glass of wine at the end, um, we're both so excited to have you come back, maybe once we're all allowed to gather again, and yeah, realize absolutely. that vision in Wells Park, right, where we have 
a hundred community members yeah. and we get to have the EAO students and the Halau in the same space, you know, maybe not just interacting digitally, but getting to have that big potluck we all thought about, which isn't to say that the way the project occurred wasn't absolutely perfect, Lori. Like I'm so thankful to you and your extraordinary imagination and skill set for bringing this experience to Wailuku. We owe you such a debt of gratitude. It was really a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful residency. It, it touches me that people feel that way. So I'm happy to have been able to make it happen. And, and yes, we could all dream for the, the post-COVID time when we could have a big gathering. <laughs> with more than what we had. And it's something in Willis Park would be awesome. So how can people learn more about what you're up to? What are all your outlets that we can we can find you on? So I have the standard, I have a website, so it is my name, so it's lauriehepner.com. Um, and so I have, most of that is more like a portfolio site where you can see some of the projects that I've worked on in the past. I also have an Instagram, so I am laurie.hepner just like my name. Um, I also have a Facebook. If you want to go Lori.Hepner there, you'll find my personal account. I have an artist page, but I, I just, I've basically just turned it into, I, my personal account is my artist page. So yep. you can reach me there. You can reach me by email. I'm always, I, I do get sort of sometimes random emails with like, hey, we want to do a project. Always happy if something like that ever pops up. Um, but, you know, if somebody's out there and they're thinking about making a project for small town big art and want to have some, you know, think about something ahead of time, you know, feel free to shoot me a message. I'm happy to talk with people. Or if anybody is passing through Pittsburgh, definitely drop me a line and say hello. And those are the places that I can like, basically through those outlets, you'll find out where I am. Instagram and Facebook are kind of the more up to speed. This is where I am right now. Here, come to this project tomorrow. <laughs> um, but I do send out an email newsletter maybe quarterly or every like biannually about what, what I've been up to. But I'm on, I'm like I said, I'm a t I teach at Penn State and I'm on sabbatical this year. So this lets me be able to do more art projects and do some traveling. So we will see based on what COVID happens where I end up in the spring of 2022. It might be in the US, it might be abroad. We're not sure yet. Mamma mia. Yeah, rumor has it this is our life for two more years, but I'm not going to play that game right now where I think I know more than rumor. <laughs> so who knows, yeah, Lori? I'm just, I'm, I have a project set up to, to do a sort of a, a community public art project in uh, this little island in Norway, but Norway is not letting in Americans at the moment. So, uh, we'll And you had an experience happening. in Norway, right? This was one of your yeah. favorite experiences? Yeah, this is kind of going back to the same town that I was an artist in residence at previously. And it's this really cool little community that is like 350 people on this island, 22 miles out to sea from the coast that's at the edge of the Arctic Circle. And there's this beautiful like mountain chain that's literally the last land until you hit Greenland. And there's like rainbows that would happen randomly as I'm like leaving my apartment to go, go walk somewhere. But it's this great little, little place. They really support art and doing some unique things. And they, they actually have a project called the Trena Hawaii Project. Oh, literally a hundred years ago, one of the residents from there moved to Hawaii and he sent his camera, his sister, a camera in Norway. They never met. They only corresponded via pictures. So they, they actually did, they have photos that she would take and she would send to her brother in Hawaii. Yeah. They put some of them up in the landscape in Norway and they have some like, there's a website about kind of their interactions, but they've had artists come and like do sort of projects spinning off of that project. 
But when uh, I told them, I'm like, I want to be able to come. We can have a, another kind of Hawaii connection. I love that. We're doing, we're actually talking about doing a cultural exchange with Toronto right now. Um, some of their programming through Street Art Toronto specifically works with Indigenous communities. And they had sent me a proposal where um, a Toronto-based artist and a Oaxaca-based artist in Mexico did a, a cultural exchange of artwork. And so we're starting to look into that right now. It'll be yeah. so interesting to see that Norway project. I would love to see more about that. Yeah, I'll send you, send you a link to it. Yeah, please do. Okay, Laura, well, if you have closing thoughts, I'd love to hear them. Otherwise, we can wrap up. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to say once again, thank you for having my project happen because it was such a great experience to be able to come out to Wailuku and make this project happen. And I'm so thrilled that there are people that are doing the augmented reality while they're waiting for brunch. Yes, that's, they are. that's the kind of art interactions I want to be have happening and more of those things need to happen out in the world. They do. Thank you so much, Lori. It's been such a pleasure catching up with you and I hope we see you here in Wailuku again very soon. Yes, thank you so much, too. Bye, everybody.